0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat then the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city but or rather both man and woman young and old oxen sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword but Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it by fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers from the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn and with its youngest. He shall set up, with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and fame spread throughout all the country. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us in our familiarity with this passage to have fresh eyes. God, that you would soften our hearts to places where they have grown callous to hear your word. I pray. God, that the message that you have for us this morning would penetrate to the very depth of who we are. And God, that we would live differently as a result. But even greater than the ethical implications of this text, I pray that we would see the spiritual implications of this text. May we understand the reality of our salvation and even see the gospel at work here in the destruction of a city. And I pray that you'd be glorified by it. God, thank you for the one who came to faith in Jesus Christ last week. We know that that's not our work. That is your work. Through the preaching of your word, you have saved the lost. And I pray that today, God, that we would see the same thing happen again. That you would call, draw the lost to salvation. And that we would see someone trust in Jesus Christ for the very first time. Lord, I pray that you give them... Courage, and that you would give them the faith to believe. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Joshua chapter 6, again, is one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture. It actually becomes uh, one of the pivotal moments or transition moments in the book of Joshua. The reality that all of everything up until this point, Joshua 1 through 5, has really been preparation. Leading up to what is about to take place in Joshua chapter 6. And we see for seven chapters, military conquest. For seven chapters, this conquering of the land that God had promised. But this takes the cake of the whole thing right at the very beginning. This is the most the most profound story, the most uh, climactic story of all that took place in, in the, the nation Israel as they were progressing into the Promised Land. In fact, this was the stronghold of the Promised Land. If you know anything about biblical geography, as they skirted through the wilderness and skirted around that that land there that is known today as Israel, they came through this Jordan Rift, through this Jordan Valley, and were able to enter in to a place where no one entered into 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 what is now Jerusalem. Why? Because this stronghold Jericho was so strong and so powerful, the walls thick and impenetrable, so to speak. And yet, this is exactly where Joshua leads the people under the command of Jesus, as we saw just a few weeks ago. And it makes a transition to the receiving of the land. No longer was it simply a promise. It was a promise fulfilled. They were on the edge of experiencing both the fulfilled promise of God and their fulfilled purpose as God's people. And it contains the only military-style actions in the book. We tend to look at Joshua through that lens of this military kind of a thing, but it's really relatively short. The uh, uh, military-style actions in the book are only seven chapters. The message has to be greater than that. See, God has a purpose for all of us and it takes different shapes at different times in our life. And sometimes, as we enter into seven chapters of this, sometimes the rest that we have been promised by God, listen to me carefully, looks more like a battle than it does rest. Every moment in our lives. In fact, The overall picture of our lives as Christians is facing a battle every single day for the gospel. It looks more like a battle here on the earth than it looks like rest here on the earth. This is where we find ourselves. We have been given a land. It is the land of the earth, a place where we've been told to to wage war for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not killing people but against an enemy, the powers of hell. And the reality is... We live in a battle every single day. And it is not a battle of survival. Unfortunately, we get into that mode in our lives sometimes where we're just trying to fight to live every day. Just trying to fight to survive. That next thing that comes our way and becomes a barrier to us. But we are in a conquest. We are in a conquest for the kingdom. It is a battle that has purpose. You are here on the earth and you are not gone yet. Because you are still in a battle waging war For the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ And so this The background of this kind of a war God had already described to them Deuteronomy chapter 20 It is a battle that God's giving them For the inheritance The land that is theirs But it's also a battle that He is waging To punish all of those Who are the the inhabitants of the land For their wickedness So Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Sometimes we approach stories like this and we think, well, why would God do something so harsh? And we we put a, a great chasm between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Our God hasn't changed. Notice what he says. You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. Then he goes on to list the people. And in verse 18, it gives us the reason. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods. And you you sin against the Lord your God. They're waging war, not against necessarily the people of Canaan, the people of Jericho. They're waging war for the gospel, against, against sin. And God is using them in that process. And so I want you to hear not only what God is doing in Canaan, what God is doing in the people of Israel, and here's the main truth of this passage. Spiritual battle is a necessary means through which God is shaping and caring for His people. Spiritual battle is a necessary means through which God is shaping and caring for His people. There was a barrier to entry in the promised land and it had to be overcome. Again, how many of you have ever experienced spiritual barriers in your life? Things that you, you just can't see how you can make it through. Impossible circumstances. More true to the text, how many of you have ever experienced barriers to the gospel, be it ministry or coming to faith in Christ? There is certainly a church application here, is there not? We as a church facing barriers to doing what God has called us to do, and that is everywhere we turn. We talked about in Connect Group this morning that we are as sheep among wolves. We we talked about what it meant to face persecution for the sake of the gospel, and everywhere we turn there is persecution, both from within and without. We face barriers. And then certainly there is a promised land application. Because the promised land represents more than just a physical land. It represents the place of rest. And that ultimate rest that you and I are all going to. There is a great barrier in our lives to the eternal rest that has been offered to all of us. That barrier, Jericho, is the sin in our own lives. And that barrier separates us from eternal rest. And so we all face these kinds of barriers in our life. But the battle is necessary because it is the means. Sometimes we pray, God, would you take the battles in our lives away? But the battle is the means through which God is both shaping Israel and how He's executing His justice in the world. And so He's shaping them and He's caring for them through this spiritual battle. And there are two key words in that sentence, if you wrote it down, that I'd like for you to underline. The words are spiritual and God. Spiritual and God. This story has traditionally been called the Battle of Jericho, and we sing the song, don't we? Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. But I want you to know, don't miss what we read in the text. Joshua didn't. In fact, the people really didn't fight any battle. Jericho's, or rather, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1, notice Jericho was securely shut up. Why? Because of the children of Israel. And don't miss the sentence. None went out and none came in. It is a statement of impossibility, and it was a problem, both for the Israelites and for Israel. The the people of Jericho It was a problem because the, the, The people of Jericho You remember the story of Rahab And she had heard what God had done through them And so they were afraid They were afraid of these people Maybe they could cast some kind of a spell on them Or something But they were at least afraid Of this small number of people And so they didn't want to come out of those city walls They were tightly shut up They were in defense mode And these were great walls they couldn't have gotten in. It says no one got in. Israel, this was a problem for them. How were they going to take this city? God had brought them a pl- again to a place, just like the Red Sea, and just like the Jordan, where they were at an impossible barrier. What were they going to do? And verse 1 emphasizes that it is difficult. And so it's set in Joshua chapter 6 in the same way that in Joshua chapter 3, the, when it says that the Jordan overflowed its banks. The writer of Joshua wants us to know that this is a barrier that's not a com- or not surmountable sur- by human power. So then notice in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2 and following these specific instructions. They're to take, jo- take Jericho, but he didn't tell them here's the weapons you should use, here's the point of attack, here's the gate you should enter in through. He didn't say how many should flank and how many... There weren't any military commands here at all. They were obeying God's command, yes, to have 40,000 armed men. We'll look at that a little bit more in a second. But 40,000 armed men prepared for war, and yet it was not those men who made an attack on Israel. They were marching with a trumpet. Now, that doesn't make sense in military terms. If you're in command ops, that's not a command that you give, right? You don't tell the people of Israel, okay, you've got, and they didn't have guns, but you've got all these guns, you've got all these tanks, all these cannons, and you go ahead and take out the city walls. That's something you say. But he says, no, you go ahead and take a walk around the city and then blow a trumpet and then take a, take a rest for the day. It just doesn't make any sense if you're speaking in human terms. fact is, this was no human battle at all. It was a spiritual battle. Spiritual battle is a necessary means through which God is shaping and caring for His people. Some of you have a battle in your life, and it is not God who is fighting that battle. You're fighting that battle yourself. When Israel had stood before the Red Sea, it was an impossible barrier, but Moses told the people, Do not be afraid, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord Which He will accomplish for you today For the Egyptians whom you see today You shall see again no more forever The Lord will fight for you It was God's battle When David was about to face the Philistine, Goliath And all of Israel was afraid They didn't know what they were going to do And then this wimpy little shepherd boy Comes before this giant of a man he says to the Philistine, "You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of, of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Again, when King Jehoshaphat led Israel against the people of Moab and the people of Ammon, it was an encouragement from the the priests that would say, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, And you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. You see, some of you are fighting a battle just like what may have been Israel's opportunity if they had chosen it. fighting a battle that you're trying to strategize and figure out yourself. You have a barrier in your life and you're trying to figure out how to get over it. But the battle friend, if you are a follower of Jesus is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. This battle is all about what God had, had done and what God was going to do in the life of God's people not what Joshua could do or even Israel themselves. It is a battle that the Lord must fight. And so when you see an obstacle in your life, it is not God's obstacle, but rather it is God's opportunity to show you how much He cares for you by keeping you through it and shaping you in it. God is doing something in your life. Israel needed something as they approached that. Why in the world would they march around? God could have just in a moment said, no, the walls are going to come tumbling down. But He told them to walk. Take a walk. We sang a few moments ago. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. Anybody ever been there in your life? Lord, I've been walking. I've been doing exactly what you want me to do. I've been walking. I thought by now you'd have done something in my life. This barrier would be gone, and yet we find Israel still walking. See, what's got to happen is you got to get down deep in who you are and you got to get in you what God has called you to do regardless of what the the obstacle the the barrier tells you you got to do what God is calling you to do so the question is how do we face spiritual battles or barriers in our life and i think that we see three different responses from the people of israel the first one in verses 1 through 5 The second one in verses 6 through 16, and the third one in verses 17 through 27. So, what are these responses that you and I are called to quickly this morning? Number one spiritual battles require patient faith. Spiritual battles require patient faith. So, seven priests, seven trumpets. March in front of the ark for seven days. After seven, or rather on the seventh day, march around seven times. Seems to me, Lord, if you're trying to accomplish something with our marching, you could have done it on the first time. Why do we got to keep marching around this thing seven times? The Bible says that on the seventh day, that it would, that it would, that the walls fell, that they would collapse is the idea that they would fall in on themselves. This was not something that the trumpet caused. It wasn't something that they threw a giant boulder and knocked the wall down. It just spontaneously fell. Why couldn't you, God do that on the first time? The reality is, God had already announced the outcome to Joshua at the beginning. God had already given them Jericho. Notice it there in verse... And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. Not only did he, did he mention it there, but he also mentioned in verse 16. At the end he says, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. These are present tense terms. God had already given them the city. It had already been promised. So why march seven times? God was teaching them about patient faith. The marching, the blowing of the trumpets, the shouting, the priests, the prominence of the Ark of the Covenant. God was doing something in them. This was a spiritual exercise, not a military endeavor. God was doing something in their hearts and in their lives. It was reinforcing the comment at the end of verse 5 where God said that he would not, or rather that the wall would collapse with. With essentially no effort He didn't say it's going to happen By your own hand It's going to just happen No effort of your own Now you go to Jericho And you got weapons in your hand And you decide to march with a, with, a, with a horn That takes a lot of faith Sometimes we have all of the means in our life To do what we think we need to accomplish And yet God tells us to do something entirely different the way we approach a problem is not often God's intent for us, but rather God is doing something in our lives. Sure, they had the military power probably to make an attack, but God said to march. He said to march, and that requires big faith. By the way, that requ- requires faith not working. Nothing they could do could cause the wall's to fall. They had to come into a firm reliance upon who God was and what God could do in their lives. Jericho was the entry point to the promised land and this is so picturesque of our lives. We think somehow we can go and do for God and God is somehow pleased in us by our doing for Him. God is only pleased in us through Jesus Christ and our doing for Him is in response for what He's already done. It begins at faith. It begins at faith. And that's why I said last week's message was preparation for us to approach this text. When we boast in anything, there is nothing we have to boast in but the cross of Jesus Christ. Without Him, we are nothing. We come to a place where all we have to rely upon is our faith in God. Friend, if you've never been there, that is a difficult place to be, amen? a difficult place to be when all you have is just to simply wait trust that God will do what He said He's going to do, but the reality is it is also a good place to be, because it's good enough. If Jesus is still enough for us, then we are confident to wait and trust in Him. None of our self-motivation, none of our trying to figure out, none of us trying to put the pieces together, calculated, could ever figure it out. We can't be smart enough. We can't be good enough. We've got to trust in God enough. Amen? And so when we do that, we trust Him. I also said, patient faith. How many of you, when you read Joshua chapter 6, you go, man, that's got to be one of the most repetitive things I've ever read in my life. You already said seven. You already said that's what's going to happen. Why are you saying it over again? And He only really stops to summarize days four through six. you notice that? He tells us he narrates the first day, the second day. Here's what they did, it's exactly the same. Days four through six, he kind of truncates there together, and then, then day seven, he tells us all about it again. Why would he go through so much of the detail? I think that the emphasis is to remind us on how slowly this process was unfolding. The same thing happened in chapters chapters three and four whenever they were crossing the Jordan. They slowed way down in the narrative to remind us that this, this is happening. Seven days, you march around a city and you're not sure what's going to happen next. you got to wait and be patient on the Lord. God, I've been walking around these walls and you said they're going to fall. And look, it's getting, this is getting... You're, you're drawing this out. Kind of like that pastor with this sermon. You're just drawing this out, you know? But they said, wait. They said, wait. Verse 10 even, he says, don't make a sound until I tell you. Don't make a single sound because on day seven... That's when God said to do. There are two side stories in the text. One of those is the story of Rahab. The other one is one that is the story of Rahab looking back and this other kind of reference to the silver and gold that's looking forward in the next chapter. We're going to come back to that next week. But this side story of Rahab, we're reminded of what it means to patiently wait on the Lord. you think it was hard for... Israelites as they're waiting outside the city imagine waiting in the city wall with that scarlet cord above your your window knowing God's about to do real damage to this place and your home's about to be utterly destroyed and burned and you're supposed to be saved out of all of Jericho just a handful of people there's so much in that the reality is her waiting and patiently waiting on the Lord some of you say well I've been patiently waiting for a long 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 time and God has not come through for me this is why it is patient faith. Patient faith. We Trust in Him. And I, I just want to just caution you. In the midst of battle and war and struggle and coming against all of these barriers in our life, here is what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to say we have faith and grow very impatient with God actually doing something for us. We we come to this place where we would say we believe that God is going to act but we really stop if we want to really be honest y'all maybe I'm crazy I I just I'm a pastor I think as a pastor I, I love my church family I think I think about the mission of God and this is what what really just drives every day of my life sometimes it's real easy to look around us and to grow impatient with what we see. Physical that we see. And maybe I'm just crazy, but God has just impressed upon me, especially over the last three to four months, the need in my life, my own heart as a pastor, for patient waiting with God. God to do what He's promised He will do. It is not something that we enter into lightly, we enter into following after God in obedience, believing that what He's called us to is what He's called us to do, and He will in fact supply every need. And God is doing that. We're seeing that, but it needs great patience and endurance. We've got to be careful that the discipline in our lives of waiting on God doesn't become drudgery. We stop believing in faith that God will do what He said He's going to do. So, spiritual battles require demand that we have patient faith. Secondly, spiritual battles require complete obedience, complete obedience. So let's figure out what this number seven is for. Even after, by the way, even the arming, though that wasn't the main thing that they were told to do, they're told to walk, but the arming was actually commanded them in Joshua chapter one, verse 14. And then in chapter four, verse 13, we see 40,000 armed, prepared for war, and those men go out before the people of Israel. They were obeying God even in that. But there are clear, explicit, specific instructions about what they were to do. Why did God not just make the walls fall immediately? And you can't miss the number seven. In fact, it occurs four times in verse four alone where we begin to see the instructions and then we see it 14 times in the chapter. God is obviously communicating Something. You see, seven is the number of totality or completion or perfection in the scriptures. We're seeing kind of a twofold thing happening here. One, God is bringing to completion or perfection what he promised years ago to Abraham. They are gaining the promised land. So when you march around seven times, when you remember that seven, you remember that God keeps his promises and he's doing what he said he was going to do. But he could have done that without the march. So why is it that they march around seven times? He gave them such explicit instructions that they were to obey to the T, the Ark, the seven priests, the seven horns, the seven marching, the seventh day marching seven times. And they obeyed to the absolute end. You see, spiritual battles were complete obedience this exercise of walking was an exercise of being dedicated to the Lord you remember in chapter 5 the circumcision picture that we looked at they dedicated themselves to the Lord and so this act a spiritual act of walking was absolute complete and perfect obedience God demands complete obedience in our lives I didn't say perfection perfection because Jesus has already accomplished that. But Jesus requires in our lives when it comes to His mission and when it comes to facing things in our lives that we obey Him completely. That means every step and that means with our total being. We completely obey all that He has called us to do. So many people want to give partial obedience or half-hearted obedience where we do most of what God tells us to do, but we leave one little part out. And God is gracious. He'll forgive us, right? That's not how we approach the Christian life. When we approach the Christian life, we realize that if one died for all, then all died, And our lives are to be lived to Him in His glory, complete and total obedience. That's what He's called us to. When you see a barrier in your life, there is not an opportunity to see how you can get around it, but an opportunity to for you to see how you can obey God in the midst of it. The second side note here, we see it here at the end, verses 18 and 19, He has given them yet another command. Abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. He's concerned with their holiness. Verse 19, the same thing, silver and gold, that goes to the Lord. Everything, all of this is dedicated to the Lord. And we see in chapter 7, we'll see next week, what it means to not obey God and the results of that. See, when we face barriers in our life, what God expects of us is absolute and complete obedience to what He's called us to. It means we've got to be in His Word. Third, spiritual battles require jealous worship. So we saw what they're commanded to do. We saw that they did it. But in the end, after it happens, is this picture with Rahab, of course, verses 18 and 19, this picture of of completely dedicating everything to the Lord. Notice in verse 24, though. Verse 24. Only the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, them put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spares Rahab. Verse 26, he doesn't want anyone to rebuild it because of what God has done there. And verse 27, notice what goes forward. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. God is jealous for His own worship. We likewise should be jealous for His worship. Joshua says, Don't you dare rebuild Jericho. God did something here. No altar should be here for any other God. There should be no Canaanite God here. Because God took this place for Himself. This is set apart for God and God alone. And that statement went everywhere. You see, when we are looking at barriers in our life, we tend to let worship wane. It's less hot-hearted as it was because we're tired, we're exhausted from walking and walking and walking and trusting and trusting and trusting and waiting. And yet we are called to be worshipers, jealous that God would be worshipped with all of our hearts. And not only that, but His worship would spread to all peoples in all places. That should be the call of the Christian, that his fame would spread. So I would encourage you this morning that the battle is not yours, that the battle is the Lord's, and that He is doing something in you. It is a spiritual battle through which God is shaping you, conforming you into who He's called you to be, teaching you how to be patient and faithful, teaching you how to obey and teaching you how to worship in the midst of it all. And He is caring for you in the midst of the battle. Don't feel like you're alone. God is acting on your behalf. When the walls come down, it will not be because you did anything, but because God acted in your life. And that is good news this morning. But I want you to hear me carefully as we close, as we try to bring some clear application to this passage. The greatest battle ever fought was not the battle of Jericho, where there was separation between God's people and the promised land. The battle, the greatest battle ever fought was not the Revolutionary War in America that created separation between us and England and gave us religious freedom. You see, the battles on this earth are never the greatest battles ever fought and they are not the ultimate battle fought. In fact, the greatest battle ever fought will not be Armageddon. The greatest battle ever fought has already been fought. Already been waged. And it's already been won by the good guys. In fact, by one good guy. And his name is Jesus. You see, the greatest battle that ever was fought was fought over our separation. Not from the promised land, but from the God of the promised land. And the Jericho in our lives sin. And God has, in effect, in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, not brought down the walls of separation of Jericho, but rather the middle wall of separation between us and the Holy One. We sang this morning what Jesus has done. He is, holy is the Lord. The earth is full of His glory. You and I come because of what Jesus has done. We come in the presence of a holy God and we get the opportunity to know Him and the separation is gone because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He shed His blood for us and was raised to life and the battle is over. Every battle you face is less and is small compared to that battle that's already been won. And the Bible teaches that we are more than conquerors in Christ who gave Himself for us. You know Jesus this morning. The battle's over. The victory's won. Friend, if you don't know Jesus this morning, your battle is just getting started. And today you don't have to fight it. The fact is, you need only to be still. To come to the place that you trust in Jesus Christ in patient faith. None of your working, none of your figuring it out can ever get there. None of your goodness can ever get there. At the end of the day, only Jesus can take you there. Only Jesus can save you. And then it is a life of living in obedience. Listen, it's not enough for Jesus to simply be Savior. He won't stop at that. Jesus is both Savior and Lord of your life. You surrender everything that you are in repentance and faith and trust Him and God will save you today. The beauty of it is the worship that will happen in your heart is indescribable and God using you to spread his worship across the across the globe for his glory. So I want to invite you to bow your heads all across the room this morning. And as we begin our time of invitation, Debbie's going to come and play. We're going to sing a little bit, but this morning you need to be responding to the Lord. You're here to worship him and him alone. Today maybe some of you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You need to step out of where you'll be standing Come down this aisle and say, Pastor, today I need to be saved. That's what happened last week. Today I need to be saved. So you come. You trust in Jesus. You say, I don't know all the, all the answers or I don't know a bunch of Bible verses. None of that matters. What matters is that you give all you know of you to all you know of Jesus Christ. Surrender your life totally committed to Him. And God will save you. The Bible says that, the, that God hears the sinner's hearts. The sinner's cry. When you cry out to the Lord this morning He will save you The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord Will be saved Today you need to be saved Not tomorrow, not next week You may not have that Today Today God wants you to be saved Some of the others in this room You've been fighting a battle And you've grown weary and tired And you need to bring it before the Lord again And stop fighting And only be still Patient Faithful Obedient Steadfast worshipful and trust the God who's going to bring the walls down one day so whatever the case is in your life your heart, the decision that you need to make, maybe some of you need to be baptized maybe some of you need to join this church I don't know what the case is, but all across this room as we stand, I'm going to pray and you come this morning, all across the room, Lord I pray that you would have your way in this place, that we would honor you with our obedience we're here to worship you we pray this in Jesus' name. You've been
0: listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening. May you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.